Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number 7, and we're continuing our journey forward through the Legion of Superheroes stories. Next up is Superboy number 98 with The Boy with Ultra Powers. Now, this is the cover feature of the issue, but there's multiple stories in here. The story is 12 pages plus a page is kind of an interior cover or chapter mark or whatever. And... This is written by Jerry Siegel, art by Kurt Swan. The cover date is July 1962, 12-cent cover price. This takes place in the original Legion era, and it is the first appearance of Ultra Boy. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever read this one before or not. I've got to think that at some point I have, but it it wasn't familiar. And one of the first things that jumped out at me is not only is it the first appearance of Ultra Boy, who at this point has a hyphen between the Ultra and Boy that later gets dropped. Not that that's a big deal, but I thought I'd mention it. But Marla is here, and he is, as is revealed at the end of the story, one of the senior advisors of the Legion and stuff at this point. And, or has just become, he's the new one at this point. But I'd forgotten he was kind of tied into Ultra Boy's story. Now, this is actually a, a, a lot of fun. A lot happens in these 12 pages. And they do a riff on what's really kind of one of my almost least favorite kinds of Superman, Superboy stories, and that's where somebody's trying to figure out who Superboy is. Well, they managed to do it in a fun way, because when you've got Marla coming in with Ultra Boy, and he's wearing a costume virtually identical to Ultra Boy's, the only difference is kind of the bird-like emblem is a little different on Marla's costume, and Marla has no power, so I'm not sure why he's even wearing a costume. But it kind of hides the fact that Ultra Boy is a Legionnaire. Now, I, I know this because I, I, I know who Ultra Boy was, but if I were just some kid at the time, granted this was a couple of years before I was born, so I wasn't, but if I were and I was reading this, it'd be, hey, who is this Ultra Boy? Good guy, bad guy, what's going on? Would have had no reason to think this was uh, connected to the Legion. And Ultra Boy's mission is to find out Superboy's secret identity. So again, they've already put a bit of a spin there, which is kind of fun. Now, at this point, the only power Ultra Boy has is the Penetra Vision that can generate heat, see great differences, and look through everything, including lead, that Superboy's X-ray vision can't do. Now, later, he figures out how to use this this energy he's got and do other things with it, and he kind of becomes a another Superboy clone with the twist he can only do one power at a time, whereas here... He just has kind of the vision powers, although that's turns out to be plenty. Now, they play it vague as to, you know, who are these others that they're contacting? You know, they've, why are they contacting? We never see any of the Legion in the story, even at the end when it's revealed that, that Ultra Boy is part of trying to be part of the Legion at this point. And he's got a uh, secret identity he's established at this point of Ben Crane, and Marla's going by Gary Crane. Not that either of those make a bit of difference in the story. Now, what's interesting is they come into town by train, having, as we later find out, their time sphere elsewhere, 
so Superboy wouldn't detect it as easily, and come into Smallville by train and go about it that way. Now, one of the first people in the story that they encounter is Pete Ross. Now, Pete's apparently helping out at the principal's office and is there when Gary and Ben are, are getting, you know, him enrolled in in high school. Now, Gary's background is very vague, and Pete kind of picks up on it like, that's a little odd, and is really kind of taken aback when the first question Gary puts to Pete is, do you know Superboy's secret identity? And of course, Pete's like, well, uh, uh, no, I don't. But the thing of it is, he does, and that's part of what throws him off. And at some point, I need to go find that story where, where Pete finds out the identity. And I've read it before. It's, it's a good story. And it becomes pivotal in Pete's, really, his ongoing saga, particularly with the Legion. And this whole thing, again, gets Pete a little suspicious of Gary. Gary asks the question. Pete gets nervous. This gets Gary Ultra Boy thinking, well, the only reason he'd be nervous is maybe he's Superboy. So he hits him with the, the penetrative vision to see if he's wearing a Superboy costume, but he's not. And oh, wow, how clever to outwit somebody by not doing that. So later, they follow Pete to his other job, which is working at the general store. Now, this is Jonathan Kent's general store. And at some point, I got to go figure out, just because I'm curious, because I remember this as part of the Superboy era, the Kent's had the general store. I don't remember when they set it up. And the other thing that really got me is the stockroom is apparently in the basement. Now, granted, when your kid's a Kryptonian, it doesn't really matter, you know, going up and downstairs with a lot of stuff, but I don't know, it just seemed like a bad design to me. So, sure enough, as they're there and Pete's helping out, which I didn't realize or remember that Pete was working at the general store at all, I knew Clark was, some idiot decides to go rob the general store. Now, not just rob it, he's going to rob it with a machine gun, and this is like one of those, I guess, Tommy gun kind of a things, with the round barrel and stuff like that, or round bullet casing, or uh, magazine, or whatever it is. Clearly, I know a ton about guns. So, Ultra Boy and Marla sneak around the back of the store just to be out of sight. Pete's like, ah, having none of this. You know, I'm not going to hand over the money. Get out, guy. Now, at this point, the, the crook's like, well, okay, I'll just blow you away. And the barrel of the gun and the bullets melt. Of course, Pete, he thinks it's Superboy that did this. Because, well, you know, he knows Superboy's Clark. Superboy's a friend of Pete's regardless. Superboy's not going to let somebody get hurt if he can help it. You know, that sort of a thing. Now, it turns out, of course, as we see very clearly in the story, that it's Ultra Boy who's using his penetravision to, to melt the bullet in the gun. Now, he's only doing this because he thinks Pete is Superboy, and that the bullets bouncing off Pete's invulnerable body would give away Pete's identity as Superboy. Of course, Pete isn't Superboy, but the story in Pete's life would be a lot shorter if Ultra Boy didn't suspect that. Now, at this point... Ultra Boy's still trying to prove that Pete Ross is really Superboy, and Marla's like, yeah, we'll see. So I would imagine at this point Marla knows the truth, but one of the things that's a little puzzling about this story, particularly after getting to the end and realizing Ultra Boy's from the future, in the Legion's time frame, apparently not everybody knows who Superboy was, which seems like it sh should have been public knowledge, maybe was or wasn't. I think they play a little fast and loose with that, but at this point in time, continuity isn't the concept it is today, and they play a little fast and loose with it, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So, Clark shows up as the crook's getting hauled off to jail, and Clark's father, you know, takes him down to the stockroom to explain what happened, and, you know, geez, Pete would have been killed if you hadn't saved him, and Clark's like, oh, I didn't save him. 
goes home, checks with the Superboy robots, because of course, you know, a good superhero doesn't have robot duplicates, but none of them saved him either. So Clark gets back to the store, investigates, and notices that the slag from the, the, the bullets is lead, and his x-ray vision can't melt lead. Now, it very clearly mentions x-ray vision. Now, it did a little digging, because it's like, I don't know when Superman and Superboy had heat vision and such. Well, it turns out Superboy had heat vision by name as of Superboy number 88 from April 1961, about a year prior. But like I mentioned, back then, continuity wasn't what it is today. They played a little fast and loose with some of this stuff. So it had traditionally been x-ray vision, you know, heating stuff up. They were starting to use the term heat vision. It's just not everybody was on board or remembered that or whatever, apparently. But at this point, Superboy's got a mystery to go solve. Meanwhile, Ultra Boy's still got to go prove that Pete is Superboy. Now, good luck with that, because, well, he's not. So, out on the edge of town, Pete's driving somewhere. Don't know where he's driving to or from, but he's driving. And Ultra Boy uses his penetravision to melt the bottom of a boulder to have it go crash down, block the road in front of, of Pete. Figuring nobody's around, Pete being Superboy will just, you know, push the thing aside and be done with it. Well, of course, Pete's not Superboy. Again, this story would go very differently if he was, but that's not the story we're reading. It's also good that this was not something that was a life-threatening situation, because if he figured, well, I'll just crush the car, it's like, well, he could have killed Pete, that would have been bad. I mean, there are a million ways the story could have gone really wrong. But basically, at this point, Superboy is patrolling town, he sees Pete having problems, Superboy just picks up the boulder, realizes it's partially melted, and just throws it. He's like, well, where do I toss it? Well, luck of luck, uh, whether it's good luck or bad, don't know. He uses his supervision, realizes that a hole had just opened up in the Smallville Dam, and so the town will get flooded. He's able to throw the, the boulder right into the spot, the right speed and all that, to where it lands and wedges itself securely in the hole, saves the town, gives the repairman time to fix it, crisis averted. Now, he's already realized, uh, Superboy that is, that the X-ray vision can't melt lead, so maybe whoever melted the lead bullets is more powerful than him. He's now realizing not only could they melt lead, they could melt lead ore. So, you know, who is this person? What's going on? He flies off, and we then get a, a quick scene with Ultra Boy and Marla uh, checking in with headquarters through the cosmic scope. Again, that's... Maybe not a blatant clue it's from the Legion, but I mean, it could just be another sci-fi device for all we knew. But we realize he's got, uh, Ultra Boy's got a two-day deadline for figuring out who Superboy is. And they're getting their, their civilian clothes over their costume as lo and behold, Crypto flies by. That seemed a little out of nowhere. Crypto's realizing, wait, they're, you know, hiding their costumes under their clothes. Maybe they're bad guys who want to harm Superboy. So... Crypto's plan is to fly them to Smallville, rip off their outer garments, and expose the, their costumes. Uh, seems a little overblown, because they really haven't done anything to make them think they are dangerous, but as he's coming in, Ultra Boy uses his penetravision, gives Crypto a hot foot, and sends him flying back out into space, and there goes Crypto. See, he's in the story for all of, I don't know, three panels? Again, they don't waste time. There's a lot going on in very little space. Now, we then cut to a quick scene at, well, they say it's at Smallville High, but it's clearly out, well, I guess it's students he's seen at Smallville High. It's, it's in town, in Smallville, and Ultra Boy, as a civilian, sees Clark and Lana. Clark gets 
bullied by some other kids, gets knocked down, his glasses get fallen off. Lana's like, man, you're lucky they didn't break. You should, you know, not be so afraid of kids half your age. I mean, that that's how bullied uh, Clark was at this point. Now, this is where thought balloons really do a lot of work here, because we get a thought balloon from Ultra Boy in civilian attire of, oh, they didn't break, so it's like, ah, I've noticed this. Next panel, Clark's thinking how, of course they didn't break, they're from unbreakable material from the rocket ship that brought me to Earth from Krypton. And then we've got, which I think is just a hilarious thought balloon from uh, Ultra Boy by the three purple moons of Rimbor. First mention of his planet's name, we do get it later on in the story. But then we get another panel of, well, Clark's glasses weren't destroyed because the lens is a shatterproof glass from Krypton. Of course, Clark may be wearing them as a disguise. So it's like, well, you know, I'd pretend to be meek and mild if I didn't want people to know I was Superboy. I'll use my penetrative vision to check. Sure enough, seize the Superboy costume underneath. Unfortunately for Ultra Boy, this is outside a photographer's place. And all of the negatives the guy was developing are ruined. They're becoming foggy. The guy comments as such, like, oh, what's going on? Clark, who's right outside, I don't know if he needs a superheroing, but apparently he's got it nonetheless. He hears this. He's like, hmm, that could have happened if it was my x-ray vision, but it clearly wasn't mine. Hey, wait, there's this new kid in town, you know? And I know there's somebody who can melt stuff. Maybe it's the new kid. So he's suspicious. He checks and notices the costume underneath Gary's uh, civilian attire. And it's like, is he friend or foe? I'm not going to force the truth out of him, but he'll he'll tip his hand sooner or later. Again, very cliche kind of things in certain ways, but it's a fun twist on the somebody's trying to figure out Superboy's, or Superman's identity for that matter. And this time, Lana's just an innocent bystander. She's not the one actually doing all of this stuff. Now, we cut to Pete, who's back at home reading his latest diary entry talking about, you know, how Superboy was always outsmarting people out to discover his identity, and he'd figured it out by accident. He's the only one who knows the secret. And then at night as he's sleeping, he's like, you know, if this diary fell into the wrong hands, it could be really bad. I should put it somewhere safe. So next day, he heads to the the bank. I'm assuming there's only the one in Smallville. And gets a, a safety deposit box. It's like, is this thing bulletproof? Oh, yeah. Nobody would dare try to rob us. Now, granted, somebody just tried to rob the general store with a machine gun. So, you know, Smallville's apparently not as safe as I would have thought it was. But this vault door is equipped with an automatic device that'll explode, injure any criminal forcing open the door. And I'm like, okay, that seems a little overkill and dangerous and impractical, but okay. Pete's going in to check it out. He's placing the diary in the box. At this exact point, the bank manager has another heart attack, pushes shut the door. People see that Pete's in there, of course. Like, oh, this the, the guy has suffered another heart attack. You know, we got to rush him to the hospital last time. He was unconscious for days. But, oh, no, the, the vault's closed when he fell against it. The time lock won't open. And this is the guy, who, the only guy who knows the, the combination. And Pete's stuck in there. He'll suffocate. Now, uh, I don't know how much oxygen that kind of a bank would vault would have for 12 hours, but at least they're doing the responsible thing, not just waiting to find out if Pete's alive or dead in 12 hours. So they put up on the bank roof the Superboy flag to signal Superboy something's wrong. He quickly comes by to save Pete, because they explain what's going on. And another hot balloon of, of Superboy, it's like, well, if I force the vault open, it'll explode. Maybe that'll hurt Pete. He can't through the look through the lead lock, because his x-ray vision won't do it. 
at which point Ultra Boy and Marla rush in. Now, they were about to leave Smallville. I guess Ultra Boy just... Uh, I guess he didn't give up. He actually knew Superboy's identity, so his mission was done. And Superboy's like, oh, did you do this? And he's like, no, no, we didn't. We're here to help. Now, with his penetrative vision that can see through lead, he can see the tumblers. Because Superboy's like, well, if I could see the tumblers, I could figure it out. And so Ultra Boy basically sketches the tumblers for Superboy to figure out the lock's combination. And he's able to open the thing, get Pete out. No problem. At which point, he basically throws a couple of questions at, at Ultra Boy. Who are you? Where did you come from? How did you get here? Why are you here? What's up with the penetrative vision and such? This keys off a, really, a, a two-panel origin. I guess three. Two are flashbacks, though. The third's present-day exposition, but still. Okay, Ultra Boy's name is Joe-Na. He's from the distant planet Rimor. He was traveling through space in what looks like a really tiny, tiny little ship, which gets eaten by this energy beast. Fortunately, Galactic Patrol Cruiser saw him, rescued him. Now, I'm like, okay, space is big. He got lucky there. But he had been irradiated by this energy beast, and that gave him this amazing power of the penetrative vision. Of course, he's using it on behalf of the law before long. Everyone was calling him Ultra Boy. Okay, not a bad origin, not a great origin. And of course, Superboy quickly points out the astounding coincidences that Joe-Na was swallowed by a space creature, whereas on Earth, they've got the tale of Jonah, who was swallowed by the whale. He too managed to escape. Note, Jonah did not get superpowers, just saying. As for why Ultra Boy is here in Smallville, he came from the future to figure out his secret identity. He has, don't worry, won't tell anyone, including Pete. Pete's like, yeah, but I already know, not a big deal. And basically, the reason he's there is because when he came to Earth from War, he sought out joining the Legion. The Legion's initiation test, discover the secret identity. Again, making me wonder, why isn't that more common knowledge in the 30th century? But Ultra Boy figured it out in time. He's now a full-fledged member. Marla explains he's the Legion's new senior advisor and was there as an official observer and that they'd hidden their time globe near Metropolis and came to Smallville by train so they wouldn't, you know, Superboy wouldn't notice the arrival and be kind of on his guard and such. And Superboy's like, ha-ha, you had me fooled, you'll be a great Legionnaire, etc., and heads off. Now, at this point, Ultra Boy is wondering, well, why does Pete need a, a safety deposit box? So uses his penetrative vision to find out, reads the diary, realizes that Pete knows Superboy is Clark and has been protecting his identity the whole time. And they're kind of impressed by that. Marla gives him a coin from the future. I don't know if it's a regular coin or a special coin or what, but that'll act as a pass to the Legion Clubhouse or the Superhero Clubhouse, as they're calling it at this point, whenever the Legion meets. And Pete's like, well, that's cool. I gotta attend a meeting and stuff. But it's like, of course, it's in the future. And Marla's like, yeah, Superboy's going to take you into the future soon. I'll see to that. And then later, presumably out near Metropolis, Ultra Boy and Marla are waving goodbye to Superboy as they head off in the time globe. Superboy's like, oh, I hope I see Ultra Boy again. And we get a thing in the captions of, you will, Superboy, under very startling circumstances. Now, I like how this was a fun twist on the, you know, what's Superboy's secret identity. Good setup for Ultra Boy, by and large. Good story for Pete Ross as well. This doesn't really set him up as a, a Legion reservist, but it's definitely a step in that direction. And the ending caption telling us Superboy is going to see Ultra Boy again under startling circumstances, or very startling circumstances, 
At this point, I think they were working further ahead than they may do now, and they were able to actually tease future stories this way, which I thought was kind of cool. So we get, again, a new Legionnaire, origin of Legionnaire, a fun story, a lot goes on in just 12 pages. And it's just, to me, a, a fun story. And again, I, I'm impressed with the both the density of story and the, the fluidity with which it was told. Now, again, the art here, we've got Kurt Swan. You cannot go wrong with Superman Superboy stories by Kurt Swan. It's just impossible. The guy was like the signature style for Superman for decades. Uh, Jerry Siegel, of course, co-creator of the character and such. This is just some great comics. I had a lot of fun with it and do think this is one that's worth checking out. Next up is Superman number 155 and the Downfall of Superman. Now, this is another story by Jerry Siegel and Kurt Swan. It's from August 1962. Cover price was 12 cents. It's only a eight or nine page story. There's other stuff in the issue, of course. And this is in the Adult Legion kind of continuity. So the Legionnaires we get of Lightning Man and Cosmic Man, which are the only two, are from that, again, adult era of the Legion, meaning they are adults, not that it has adult material or anything. And this is just another kind of, I'm almost going to say, run-of-the-mill Superman story. It starts out with Superman going to, he's going to wrestle with a famous wrestler and Tonio Nino or whatever, Roca, for charity. Clark and Jimmy are there with other reporters to interview the guy. Clark's kind of volunteered to uh, help the guy show some wrestling moves. And of course, Clark says, you know, oh, I've been hurt in the process. I, I, I got to go home and go to bed. And this gives him an excuse to not be at the wrestling match as Clark which is good because he's got to be there as Superman because Superman's going to go wrestle the guy. And in short order, when Superman shows up and stuff, almost instantly he gets thrown out of the ring by Roka. And uh, the excuse is Mr. Uh, Mitzietz Pitalik, at least that's how I'm going to pronounce it, because who knows how it's supposed to be pronounced, was there and he made Roka stronger than Superman. He then summons Samson and Hercules from the distant past for the guy to go fight, he fights them, defeats them easily, they kind of get sent off, and that's about all we see of the, the wrestling match. Now, shortly thereafter, in the locker room, a couple of crooks basically offer uh, Roka a job, who turns them down, he's like, hey, you're going to do it anyways, you may be strong, but you're not bulletproof, and we've got guns. So, they take him to a cave on the outskirts of Metropolis, where their loot has been hidden, but a boulder fell and kind of blocked the entrance. They need the boulder moved. Guy moves the boulders, they go in, grab the loot, come out, and it's like, okay, we're done with you, we're going to shoot you. He says, yeah, go ahead. They shoot, the bullets bounce off. And he's like, but that's impossible. Well, at this point, Superman, Samson, and Hercules drive up. And at this point, I'm like, they drive up? Okay. The crooks are like, hey, we're... we're Totally outnumbered, actually just the the main crook, I think, because it looks like Roka's taken out the rest, heads off, and I guess it's Samson who shoots the, the crook's car with uh, electric bolts, Hercules like pulls it back with his powers, in comes Mitchell Pitalik, and the guy's like, hey, you know, help me out, turn Superman into a monkey or something, save me from him. At which point, Crypto pops out of the disguise... And the whole thing turns out to have been a hoax. That, you know, Superman with super ventriloquism is, is how 
you know, Mitzvah Pitalik spoke. And it turns out, and there's this great panel here with Superman revealing himself to really be the wrestler Roka. Roka revealing himself to really be Superman. Samson taking off his Samson disguise. Now, mind you, Samson and Hercules are in, like, loincloth, you know, kind of attire or whatever. You know, bare shoulders, uh, that sort of a thing. And they're taking off that to reveal their costumes underneath. Which is like, okay. And, and Samson was Lightning Man in disguise, and Hercules was Cosmic Man in disguise. And they're members of the adult legion of superheroes from a future era, which is future from the future of the, the regular legion. And it was the, obviously, super lightning and super magnetism that they had exhibited before. And the crook's like, why? Why all of this? Well, it turns out Superman knew that the loot was hidden in a cave blocked by a boulder. He just didn't know where the cave was. So he figured if he did all of these shenanigans, he would convince the crooks that are wrestling fans to hire Roka and reveal where the cave was. Which kind of, sort of makes sense. He's explaining how Hercules and Samson appeared and disappeared via miniature time-traveling devices disguised as armbands, and I'm like, okay, that's convenient. And presumably that's adult Legion technology that's not available to the regular Legion, or possibly even to the adult Legion later. But Lightning Man and Cosmic Man use that to kind of vanish as they fly off, Crypto flies off, and we get a little tag scene at the end with Superman uh, thanking Roka for his help, and Roka wondering how he'd have fared against the real Samson and Hercules. And Superman's like, ah, maybe someday I'll take you back there and find out. And there's a little caption saying, and why, yes, readers, of course, you don't want to miss that future adventure. So get future issues. They don't say which one, of course, because they may not know at this point. A fun little story. I don't think it's, you know, particularly brilliant or anything of the sort. Some of it's a little far-fetched with, you know, everybody disguising themselves as everybody else or whatnot. But, you know, it's eight or nine page story. It's really not something I had high expectations for. And it's, you know, again, a future Legion story, so it's its own pocket of continuity. And really, we get Lightning Man and Cosmic Man as such in three panels. We get them as as Hercules and Samson a bit more, but they're really not that big of a story. They're just, at this point, you know, almost placeholders. So again, not a bad story. Here for completionist aspects... Not much more to say about it than that. There's really no key events or anything else to to speak of here. So, once again, that's The Downfall of Superman from Superman number 155. I spent a bit more time on that Ultra Boy story than I had realized, and I'm going to end this episode here, and next time we're going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to start with a two-parter on Comet the Super Horse, We're going to go through a couple of stories from Action Comics, Superman Pals, Jimmy Olsen, and Superboy, to where in Legion Spotlight number 9, I think we'll be able to start with the full-length adventures of the Legion of Superheroes as the feature characters over in Adventure Comics. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.